and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. No factions? A world where no one knows where they belong or where they fit? I can't fathom it. I only imagine isolation and chaos. <laughs> I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined for the first time in the flesh on screen <laughs> by my co-host James Daly. And today we are welcoming back the crew from Tabletop Journeys, Josh, Glenn, hey. and Lee Wanika. Welcome back hey, to Undercommon hey. Taste. It's hey. been a long time. It has been a while. It has been. It, yeah, roughly it has a year been since we did this, like, right? That's yeah. Yeah. Posted, last last time you were on, we were doing uh, Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. Yes. And oh, so gosh. now we are doing that was a year ago. Traveler's yeah, Guide year, to yeah. Factions. <laughs> yeah. So that was Traveler's Guide to Round. Number two. Yeah. You, you missed a whole book in there. Yeah. We skipped a whole book in there somewhere. We have to yeah. make sure that doesn't happen in the future. Yeah. <laughs> but good yeah. news Subclasses of the Multiverse is available as an add on to our current Kickstarter. Oh, excellent. So the book that was missed is still available. It I love not it. actually <laughs> missed, it was just unknown up till this point. Good. Exactly. My library will be less sad. <laughs> Masterful segue there, Glenn. <laughs> Always because I see now why they keep you around. <laughs> <laughs> or constantly trying to get rid of me. Well, it's not for his looks. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back to Undercommon yeah. Taste. So let's go ahead and start off because it's been a while, in case we have new listeners that may be haven't gone that far back in our back catalog and maybe don't know what Tabletop Journeys is. Can you explain what your podcast is and then give the brief elevator pitch of the new Kickstarter project that you're working on or that you've just sure. launched? We just launched it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm Josh from Tabletop Journeys. Tabletop Journeys is a podcast that is all about the tabletop role-playing game scene. Uh, we do a variety of interviews with awesome creators that are doing things out in the space, writing their own games, writing ports for other games, uh, all that sort of thing. We do a lot of discussion-type episodes where you know we're talking about uh, ongoing trends and doing book reviews and all that sort of thing. And then we also have a whole actual play arm. We used to have our Patreons come and join us for uh, various actual play games. And uh, we are now running our first, like, fully always the same cast game. Uh, beginning of the year with the OG Elker Fluffle, we, uh, we switched from Wizards of the Coast products to Star Trek Adventures. We've been playing Star Trek Adventures all year long. And it's been just a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what we do. Discussion, all sorts of different types of episodes, discussion, actual play, you name it, we got it. So awesome. Content creation, we're on our fourth book with this Kickstarter. We are, yeah. that's right. So that's right. Nick, you want to jump into yeah. the, uh, the time tour on the, on the Kickstarter? Yeah, so as far as the Kickstarter goes, this is about factions. And essentially what we determined through our role play, through our discussions with players, with audience members, uh, our patrons, is that everybody's looking for a way to get better engagement at the game tables. Storytellers want their players to feel more a part of the world, whether it be to help build it. We covered that in Collaborative World Builder's Guide, our very first book. We felt that there needed to be more things involved with games. So we did Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. So no matter where you were in the multiverse, you had the right feats, the right spells, right magic items, mundane items, even new rule systems to help flesh out <laughs> the game, right? We wanted to do that because people just needed ways and methods to be more engaged. We then went on to create our last Kickstarter, which was very successful, which was subclasses of the multiverse, where we created many of the subclasses that we felt the 5e space was missing, like 
why don't we have this type of thing here? Or, man, there are so many great story potentials for players playing these things. Or storytellers. Why do we only have rangers that suck? Players. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> why are there only rangers we, that are not good? We, like, we made why? our own attempt at fixing that. So. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that nearly every podcasting group that has ever decided, hey, we need to fix something in 5e, we've all landed on, let's fix the ranger. Rangers, and I will yeah. say... The ranger kind of fell flat this edition. Yeah, absolutely. Did. And I will say we found that while it absolutely needed to be fixed, it was a bit of a harder nut to crack once we jumped into it and dug into it a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. There was some weirdness about 5e that made Rangers challenging, but I do feel it's one of our more successful subclasses. So following building your world, filling parts of your world with stuff, and then creating better characters for these worlds, the next thing is how do we get a more enriched and developed world? The answer to that question really came down to one thing and one thing only, factions. The groups and communities within your game world, sometimes they're ones your players come from, sometimes they're ones your players work towards, sometimes they're ones your players work for, sometimes they're ones that your players work against. But in any rate, these smaller groups, whether they be organizations or companies or concepts or communities, they enrich the world at the table. And so that's where the Traveler's Guide to Factions comes from. It's how do we build these groups and these communities so you can place them in your game world as a storyteller or you can put them in your backstories as a player to make the world more enriched. No, I agree with that. And, and you did kind of tackle my first question is, is why factions? And I think it was our last episode where we talked about alignment and, you know, things where, as you were talking about the factions and how these factions are going to react to your characters and your party's actions does add a lot more malleability and effectiveness. And uh, I'm always blanking on the word I want control that your characters have over the world or autonomy, you know, because their actions now have effects and weight and consequence absolutely yeah and you know because whenever you build out your factions you're also able to build in interactions between the factions and so if you're, if you're working with this faction they're gonna like you but this faction over here isn't yeah yep. and so you can build in that aspect to it yeah, it's funny how much that spiral design to all the factions kind of comes up because it was absolutely unintentional. Like, I would love to go ahead and say, oh, you know what? That was totally our plan from the beginning. We thought real close about the interactions between all these factions from the very beginning. It's baked into the cake and it's not like literally it kind of came out like as we were kind of tossing around which factions were going to be in the book and everything like that they started emerging and as we've been writing these because we're we're in the process of writing kind of the core offering for the book now because that's kind of comes down to like our philosophy on kickstarters that we want to have the core writing at least done in rough draft by the end of the kickstarter so that you know we're not waiting you know two years to go ahead and get the book out we want to get it out to backers as soon as possible but as we've kind of been writing these, we're realizing like, oh, you know, we were talking last night about like the Outriders and how they kind of have like this espionage angle to them. They're kind of like the tip of the spear, so to speak, right? They're the ones that are riding two weeks ahead of the main body of the army to go ahead and scout out and see where enemy forces are and stuff like that. But they also have kind of this like espionage angle to them and kind of comparing them with like the Warp and the Weft, which is a distinctly espionage organization and kind of how each of those factions handles the art of espionage differently um, has been a lot of fun to kind of explore where 
one concept like espionage could be a driving factor for either of these groups, but both groups handle it very, very differently. And so that's been really fun to kind of explore the gray area in between the two extremes. Yeah, we were talking about it quite a bit last night. And I mean, even if it's not about a direct team up or adversarial style of relationship based on the story that you're using them. And there's so many ways that the factions could interact with each other differently. Like even two factions that would often be, or could often be on the same team. Uh, Like one of ours, the Outriders League, which Josh had just been mentioning, could have been hired by a group or a kingdom looking to expand into a new area, as an example. But there's already people that live there. There's indigenous people that live there. And the Thundersworn, which are kind of like the A-team and run around helping communities become better and support themselves and learn to fight for themselves and defend themselves, those two organizations could easily be on the same side. But in this instance, they could be trying to help the indigenous people, and the two could wind up going head-to-head, even though neither one of them would normally be adversarial, per se. There's so many ways that those relationships could be explored, and we were just talking about how to work that into the factions themselves, like putting in a small section about how each one would relate to the others in the book and that, that, that we're having a lot of fun exploring that yeah. that's one yeah. thing with the world building yeah. session that ian and i just got out of is we we've developed two different factions and they are trying to solve in part the same problem but they are coming at it from very very different angles yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right well i think that's really the key that we were trying to get into and you know josh said it wasn't really baked into the cake but i would differ slightly by saying that in some ways, it kind of was. It wasn't a conscious thought, so we didn't consciously make it into the cake by any means. We didn't means. consciously do it, But yeah. subconsciously, yeah. these are the types of stories we have spent 30, 40 years telling. Oh, yeah, everything's connected. These are the kinds of interactions that we love. They're the kind of movies we like to watch. We like to see that interplay between two groups that are not necessarily good or evil but their goals are in opposition. That's where that drama is. That's where that action can be flared up and born from. It's, you know, the friction of opposing ideas is what causes the flames of action, drama, and intrigue, you know? And uh, I think... Oh, that's a brilliant! That's I, yeah, one. I that's need to good. write that one. Yeah. That's not too bad. <laughs> I good. did that right here live for everybody. Um, that's You're never going to remember it again. That's I, I will. I'm going to say it again just because I want to remember. It. I got to get this locked in. <laughs> was it the friction of opposing ideas causes the 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 flames of. Um, yeah, I lost it, right? You just have to wait until Wednesday when I release the podcast. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love then it. Can, we will then you can put it on repeat. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to clip it, and then I'm going to post that to all my socials and hit it up. My 1.4K followers on Facebook are going to live that for at least two weeks straight. Um, <laughs> you get a lot but, of drama out of taking two that would be diametrically opposed also yep. and based on the story, forcing them to work together into yep. alignment. Yep. And you can get that same friction and, and really cause yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, I see just with the example that we gave, and this is what's really cool is we're going to be, as long as we hit those stretch goals, writing adventure starters. But every time we've got on somebody else's show, podcast, whether it be live or recorded in advance, I've had a new story idea that came out of it. And literally what we just discussed between the Outriders and the Indigenous people, because I rarely, actually never want to write something from the perspective of the colonizer per se but i would always say how cool would it be to have a story where you don't necessarily have the quote-unquote white savior but where you have somebody from the outriders league who realizes they've been hired to do the wrong job like what they've been hired to do is inherently wrong so now you have the outriders that have that moral quandary of 
how do I go back on the deal we made, which is against the core of our ethos, but still do right by these people? And right. if they choose to do that, now they're no longer on this side of the war. They're on this other side of the war, side by side with the Thundersworn. I like and that. now you've got a great adventure that you can run. So there's some things you have to navigate to make sure we don't get into that white savior type of situation. But at the same time, I don't think it's wrong to have a story where somebody realizes what I was doing was wrong. Right. And now I need to do the right thing, whether it is to just make up for it or what have you. So there are ways to do that quite well, which make for great stories without being all these troublesome things. Right. But I look forward to the opportunity to writing something like that. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, the two movies that come to mind are like Avatar and Dances with the Wolves. But again, it's from an individual basis where they stop and realize, hey, hey maybe we're the baddies here, you know. Well, so seeing that as yeah. a faction would be really... Well, Avatar is just... Dancing with wolves in space. Right. Dancing with wolves in space, really, yeah. yeah. Tom Cruise and the Last Samurai. You too. know, and I think that there's something to be said with those characters. I found watching both of those films was pretty edifying for me. My family tradition and my experiences with colonization via my family is very different and very unique and gives me a perspective that I think could make for an interesting story. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means it needs to be done with care. And I think it would be a great thing at the table. And again, that energy, that drama, that changeover, I mean, that's a great flip. If you did that right in the first adventure in a set of adventures, man, you've got an amazing campaign. So now you've got this mixed party of two different factions going against the big bad, and they can have standard armies. They could have, you know, the old unit commanders that they used to have and all these other great things. And uh, man, ooh, so good. So good. Because, you know, no win situations are great for storytelling. Oh, yes. Because you're forcing them to make a hard choice that they're not going to be happy with regardless of which way they go. Right. But you can build that in such a way as to make it interesting and not just, you know, oh, you're we're, we're going to smash you. <laughs> no. And for those of us who've been gaming for a long time, who've seen different official products come out with mechanics to handle what side of a group you're on or whether it be alignment or whatever, we're not talking about that crazy alignment chart from the Dragonlance Adventures first edition books. We're not talking these mechanics where if you decide to break your word, you're no longer an outrider or what have you. We are talking lore and concepts. Your story at the table can have as much or as little nuance as you want. So this right. is not a, man, we're not doing that anymore, and you lose a bunch of features. This is right. not the kind of book we're writing. We're writing a lore book so you know your story, right? And then... There will be some mechanics and some neat things to go with mechanics to support that lore, but there's nothing that's going to be, you can't be an outrider anymore with right. this. Because okay. you still did that training. You still came from that tradition. And maybe the people that you worked with, you don't work with anymore. Maybe they put your name out there as bad, but you could go to the other side of the world and meet with some other outriders, and they are absolutely okay with the decision you made. I think that's a strength of this book that we're not doing those kind of black and white you are, you aren't mechanics. This is about traditions, lore, and concepts and storytelling. And I love that about the way that, especially the third party 5e community has been approaching things lately, because you're seeing a lot of gray area. You're seeing a lot of flexible morality. If, if 
Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> love it. Love it. You know, there are no clear cut right and wrong answers yeah. anymore. And I love that we are as a community really exploring that aspect of storytelling in the game, because it is something that has been missing for such a long time. It's more real to the human condition, right? It's like people are very rarely absolutely one thing in general. And so bringing that to the tables and exploring that through storytelling uh, and through game craft and everything like that is way overdue and and makes the game stronger. And it was actually like, originally when we started like the the way that we're leaning in terms of how much gray area is involved really evolved as we went when we started out when we were first coming up with our factions we're like all right we we need to have an even number of the right kinds we need like three adversarial or evil three good or you know friendly or and three down the middle neutral slash hybrid could be either one yeah Right. And then as we went, we're like, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) This is crap. (laughs) Almost any of these could be all three of these things, depending on the situation. So we definitely have some that lean strongly in one direction or the other. The Thundersworn very much are do-gooders, but there are lots of ways that they could wind up being put in questionable situations. And the Warp and Weft is definitely not a do-gooder organization. (laughs) But they're not always the evilest evil out there either. They're more about the accumulation of their own power and the growth of their own network of leverage and favors and knowledge. The evolution of the game has been slowly and steadily stepping away from alignment since the end of second edition, where the game started giving rules, at least in splat books and things like that, for there are more rules to play notably antagonistic styled characters and situations. Not everybody had to be necessarily good. I think the mechanics made that very hard. By the time you got into third edition, it was significantly easier to play character groups that veered from We are the good guys. While there were still some mechanical things, paladins could only be X, Y, or Z, what have you, it was still easier. You know, um, we actually talked about that. Some of the shifts are odd in some ways because I do think in some I personally think paladins should be tied to gods it's just my personal mm-hmm. feeling the way I play them when I play one but it doesn't have to be I acknowledge it doesn't have to be so if people don't want to I'm not shaming your fun in any way that's just my take on them right but at the same time we have as gamers and storytellers and content creators really been shifting slightly ahead of that mechanical and official product curve anyway. I can't tell you the last time I gave a rat's poop about the alignment of a character on a character sheet. I don't care what you write down. It's about how you act in the game. Unless I'm doing a form fillable character sheet where it's a mandatory field and then it's like I put whatever. I don't even care what it is. It hasn't mattered a whit since probably 1990 when I was playing Rifts because I just didn't like the D&D alignment system anyway. If I had to play an alignment system, I've gone on record. I would choose the Palladium alignment system. It's a little more nuanced. Even that is not great, mind you, but it's at least a little closer to what I perceive reality to be. And honestly, I think that nobody is any one of these things all the time or even most of the time. There's days where I am a lot of things to go to risks where I might be principled, but there are situations you can put me in and I would be 
one of the selfish alignments all day long. Ask anybody who's ever tried to get uh, a hood ice cream sandwich out of my hands. They didn't. <laughs> I guarantee you they didn't. With the exception of my wife, who doesn't particularly like them, I chose wisely. Um, <laughs> it, like, I am selfish. My kids will say, hey, can I get one? Like, I will buy you your own box. Later, <laughs> my kids eat before me all things except hood ice cream sandwiches. So I think about that in my own life. Like I'm not any one thing. And I choose some fun examples, obviously, but I don't think anybody's any one thing. Ask anybody what they would normally do in a situation and then say, but what would you change if your loved one's life was in jeopardy? And you will see a lot change very quickly right, with right. most people. You know, so I think that our gaming and the types of books we have been writing and certainly this book are reflective of what we perceive in the world and what we want to see reflected in our games at the table so again and referencing your books going through you have these set factions you guys have developed but you've also gave quite a few tools on how players and dms can build their own factions and so i wanted to kind of ask what question when it comes to i want to make a faction what is the one question or the one thing that you think people most often forget? Ooh. Traditions and uh, superstitions. Okay. We did a whole episode on that on the show. I strongly recommend folks. It was one of my favorite episodes that we've done. We talk about the traditions that, and superstitions that we like to use, and we talk about how they get used in a game to build engagement. But I think that's a critical factor of a faction. I think about the factions I've been a part of my whole life. When I joined Boy Scouts, there are traditions, there are superstitions. You know, my troop had, when whenever we did the 12 Scout Laws, we always, as a group, threw in the 13th Scout Law, a Scout is Hungry. That's just something that we did as a group for years. And it's something that when I go to functions for friends, children who are in Scouts, and we do that, I secretly in my head always say that to this day, 30, 40 years later. You know, I think those things are strong within factions i think of military traditions from my time in the military there's different things that different groups do i put those into my games all the time uh in a star trek game that i have the crew members on board the the um, michael collins when they are first posted to duty on the michael collins are coming in through the shuttle bay when they walk through they all slap the uh, bulkhead going out of the shuttle bay when they are first posted to the Michael Collins. That's just the tradition. And like crew members who exist on the Michael Collins always tell new crew members. So during my very first episode with our patrons on that game, that was something that I called out that they would do. So they got a chance to do that. Now that comes from me playing soccer and just high school sports. Uh, you know, and, and you can watch any number of sports movies. It's not that uncommon of a tradition. I had a very but common a, thing playing football. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it. We, we did the same thing in music school, actually. Yeah, yeah. It is one of those core traditions that the type of thing that holds factions together. Yeah. We do this because we all do this. And I think that's one of those things that if you go and look at Wizards of the Coast official products, they have four nice factions. And they're nice. They're not great because they don't do things like that. They don't go into the depth that we're going into. The Harpers have a lot more because they've been written in novels. The Harpers mm -hmm. have a lot more. So I will accept them from all of that. But all the new factions, which are the germ of a fantastic idea, I'll be honest with you. I think of those four or five factions that are in the 5e products as what we came up with uh, about 12 months ago that said, okay, these are the factions we're going to take forward and we're going to bring across the finish line. So that's kind of where we started. 
and we're getting to where we're going to end and provide the tools so other people can take something like you want to take what's the green group there that was in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I can never remember their name. But if you want to take one of those factions, which is pretty basic. Oh, the in, Druid group in, there? Yeah, the Druid group. Yeah, um, um, I forget the name of them. Yeah. I can't remember the name. Glenn, you usually bring it up when you talk about. I can't uh, think of the name of them, but the Red Wizards of Thay is yeah. one of the factions that's in yeah. there. But if you want to take one of the, they're actually fairly well written in multiple books because they were major. Most of the Forgotten Realm factions are, if you look into the books. I mean, no matter yeah. what, no matter what we want to say about the Five E factions, most of the Five E factions come from the Forgotten Realms, and most of them have been detailed further in the books. So there's some more there. Yeah, I would say if you've not read the novels, yeah, then you don't know about them. Right. Correct. Yep. It's not set up in the lore for the game. If you haven't read the novels, you're not going to know any of them. I have an alternate answer for that okay. really quick. I think that one of the things that's forgotten the most with factions in people's games is not just a vague idea, but a detailed set of goals and agendas. What is this faction after? What do they want? What are they doing? Because they shouldn't just be static. And a lot of times that's what happens when they're not on camera, when they're not in scene, they just exist. They're off over here on the side. But if it's a faction that's been brought in to bring your world to life, to add depth, it should have things that it's trying to do in the world. So that even if the players don't interact with it necessarily, or say they skip the hook that would have taken them directly to it, that faction should still be doing something off camera. And you don't have to have a whole lot of crazy detail about it. But if you have a guiding set of goals and agendas, you can advance the different things that your factions are doing as well alongside your regular plot line and feed little bits of gossip and rumor into your party until they directly interact with them again. And that's what's going to actually help bring them further into life is if they exist and are active and are doing things even when the players aren't involved. I like that podcast that's really good about that aspect is Tales of the Manticore and his party is off over here. And mm -hmm. every few episodes he'll come back we haven't talked about these people or these party members, and this is what they're doing in the background. And I think that is a wonderful thing you brought up in a way to create and make that world vibrant. And a way to display that is, let's say, with Josh's example of the Outriders who are expanding a territory for a given noble. The players are on their own mission. They could come from that tradition or not, right? But they're leaving town to go on this mission out in the hinterlands. When they're leaving, they might encounter as a random encounter the Outriders doing a thing like they're there. They leave and go on their mission. They come back three years later, and they don't have to get as far back as they did now. Maybe they're two weeks out of town, and what is this? A full outpost? Yeah. You know, yeah. they encounter the same outriders three weeks before they last left them. And when they come back, they see, oh, yeah, these are the trails that the outriders blazed. These are the things that they've encountered. This land is all cleared. So you have no random encounters from this point forward because they've expanded the borders of the territory. So your players don't have to be directly involved, but you need to show that this faction is moving and shaking the entire time. Yeah. I think that's the kind of thing that will really make campaigns come alive. Taking a faction, even if it's not one that's being used directly, but enrich your world. Your world grows in spite of, because of, and regardless of anything your players are doing at the table. Your world is a living thing. Absolutely. And going back to your thing with talking about the superstition traditions, especially where you're talking about your two espionage groups, you know, the concept that those traditions are what hold people together and eventually people would do things without thinking about it. And so knowing something about an opposing faction and maybe they have this quirk or this tradition and you pick up on a NPC or whatever 
going through this thing that a traditional forum that could be a flag or a tell that they belong to that faction or group would be a really fun way to kind of throw seeds and oh, yeah. trails for our year players. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Everybody speaks thieves camp, but thieves camp has a slightly different tent for each of oh, these yeah. uh, mm-hmm. more yeah. secretive organizations, that kind of thing. Right. It works the other way around too. Like, you know, if you as a player are a member of one of these factions, and meeting with somebody who is like pretending to be a member of that yeah. faction. There's always the secret handshake, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, Masonic law, right? May, may anyone who spills the secrets that are told within this building be hung by the highest timbers, right? You know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm thinking of um, Inglorious Bastards, where they're at the bar and he uses the English three instead of the German three, you know, and that, yep. that kind of broke their cover. Yep. Right. It, it doesn't take much yeah. if you're in the right situation. Right. And especially if you know Spycraft. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I read Spycraft. I'm a big James <laughs> Bond fan and whatnot. And I love the man from Uncle, all those shows. Great due respect to the passing of our hero there this week. But I think that those kinds of things are exceptionally important in the narrative of your story. I don't think they need to have mechanical weight unless the story demands it. If you have novice players that really don't play up on those things, yeah, sure, throw a roll. But you don't need me to prescribe 15 trillion tables to do that. You know if it's important to your story, and this is a pivotal moment, the base 5e game and most game systems, their base systems have the way to make a role if it's pivotal and crucial. And if it's not, just make it so, you know? You notice X because it's not a big deal right now, right? But if it's important, if it's a clue to the greater story you're working on, have them do that role, but have it be whatever role you're using for whatever game you're using it in. You don't need me to tell you do this kind of role and set this kind of DC. Set it for the table based on the people you have at the table and their skill levels and your level of comfort. And you based on the game you're playing. And, and the game you're That's playing. part of the point of writing it, lore agnostic, is so that if you're playing 5e, if you're playing Pathfinder, if you're playing Savage Worlds, if you're playing Monster of the Week, because all of these will have how to change their trappings to move them forward through time into a modern or a futuristic setting as well. You know, you can port it into that. But yeah, you're going to have to, in those instances, because we can't write the mechanics for every game, do a little bit of mechanic work there. But we will provide base 5e mechanics in a section with some stat blocks for adversaries, etc. Because that's still the largest section of the play space out there right now. Right. But it'll also give a great avenue. Like if people are comfortable with these factions, but they want to try a different game system, they at least have this level of comfort that they can take with them. I really Mm -hmm. liked, like, our group, our table loves playing people who are out there protecting shipments or protecting shipments, if you know (laughs) what I'm saying. Either one. And so we really love the ideas and the concepts of the Ivory Compass, right? Like, that's a great organization for us that works for us. But we want to try this space game, but we really like this thing. I'll tell you what. We'll have basic rules to say, make it a space game. And if you are doing this in Modifius' 2D20 system, again, we don't need to write the rules. If you're playing that game system and you know how that works, you'll know what kind of challenges to make. You'll know what the difficulty you want to set is, how much threat needs to be spent. You know, let that happen at your table, but feel comfortable saying... The Ivory Compass is some kind of trade guild that works within the Alpha Quadrant that encompasses people from the Orion Syndicate, the Ferengi uh, network, and occasionally they'll even have a Breen bodyguard or three. You know, you can just do that. The Fenris Rangers are a great example of what they could be. Mm-hmm. Yep, in absolutely. terms of it's from Picard with Seven of Nine working with the Fenris Rangers, they could be Ivory Compass. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with, with yeah. some some trappings changes. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the tagline that sort of came out is uh, 
any time, any game, any system. Uh, that yeah. we're kind of, that's kind of how we're, we're touting the, these uh, those rules. There are going to be 5e compatible stat blocks, because like Luminika said, it's the elephant in the room, kind of can't avoid it. And if we want to put any stat blocks in it, like those are the ones we're going to pick. But you know, if we hit right stretch goals and stuff, we'll have rules to supplement uh, for Tales of the Valiant type stuff and everything like that too. So Excellent. And who knows what we would add in the future, because we can always revisit a given faction and add the stat block piece in other games if the audience is out there and clamoring for it there's nothing wrong with that if we hear hey if we got 500 people that are playing some new game that hasn't even been developed yet and they really love it but they really want to put in some of our factions we'd be fools to not put that together in that case right, right? We, so, we will uh, answer that call just call your boys ttj so, right it occurs yeah. to me that a good way to refer to this project also aside from just be a book about factions is like a lot of our books before us, we've been slowly working on inserting character building or plot building questions directly into a background yeah. or a subclass to say, hey, where would you go with this in the future? Think about these things as you carry this character forward. And I realize that what we're kind of doing is we're kind of piece by piece writing impromptu guides to homebrewing. Yeah. And there's going to be a whole lot of that in this book. Because part of the point of making it system agnostic and part of the reason that that was so important to us is obviously the 5e kerfuffle left us all uncertain <laughs> who normally operate in the 5e space, where we were going to be going. But that really opened our eyes to wanting to make sure that our product was available for more games. Right. Right? Yeah. So it's going to be chock full of plot building, character building, faction building questions to help you fit it into your world and to help you figure out which pieces to take because not everybody's going to want every piece and that's okay. Not everybody's going to necessarily jive with every single faction in the book. That's okay too. There's a place for them at any table though. And we're going to give you the guidance on the questions to ask and the things to change and how to make it look different to work in a different environment or genre or time period which is effectively the exact same thing that we do when we get a book like Strixhaven that really wasn't that great, but had a lot of things in it that we could farm out of it and take and be like, okay, what could I do with this? What? How could I change the trappings? Because I like this. How could I change the trappings so that this could fit into my world, even though it's not you know, a mystical college campus of, well, I'm not going to go into my opinions of the book. <laughs> um, but Feywild Companion, we or that's the right name. That's not the right name for the the five E book. Am I mixing that up with Splinter uh, Versus book? The five E book, yeah, you Beyond are. the Five E yeah, book was Wild yeah. Beyond the Witchlight. Beyond the Witchlight. Yeah. I mixed it up with Splinter Versus book. Wild Beyond the Witchlight had a lot in it that was great, but it's not something necessarily that I would have ran start to finish or used everything from. Yeah. So, and that's what home brewing is, and that's kind of what we're talking about when we're working with the questions to help you ask the yourself the right things to bring it to life in your world and make it fit the niche that you envision for it. So going through with your book, say I've got your book or I'm considering backing your book and I really want to make a faction and I'm using the tools that you guys have presented. How long or short would it take to create a reasonable faction that's functional, memorable, that's good and not just a copy paste and there's, you know, not just a cardboard cutout, but a Sure. A good faction. What do you think it so, takes involved? My guess is not terribly long and certainly not longer than it would take to make an individual character. Okay. Probably about somewhere in the neighborhood of half that time. But it also depends on the purpose for you building that faction. If you're a player building a faction for your background to come from, that could be longer or shorter based on your level of depth. 
that you want to get into for your backstory. There are some folks who write 14-page backstories. I used to be one of those, right? There are some folks who write three-line backstories. I have never been that. I am currently somewhere in between. So when you want to get into that level of detail, you could probably get what will end up being a faction character sheet done fairly quickly. But the level of detail that you as a player want to make in this background, you go to the table, join your friends across the screen from your dungeon master or storyteller. That level of detail will determine your your length of time in creation. Now, if you're the storyteller and you're building a faction for your game world, similar response. Your level of difficulty and your time frame is probably exactly what we said. Slightly longer than it would take to make a single NPC, probably significantly less than to make your big bad, if you're making your big bad from scratch, right? But again, how involved is this faction that you're building unique for your world going to be? If you know you're building it because you have two or three players at your table, take the time, and it might be longer than your big bad, because the level of interaction with your players with this faction will determine what you need. And I would give you this advice as a storyteller, know the prompts, know the things that you might have to answer or what have you. But generally speaking, my prep advice for storytellers is don't go super detailed for things that may not happen at your table. If you're just building a faction because you want a faction and you don't know if your players are going to interact, your first interaction should be fairly cursory. Name the basics, that top header type stuff. Yeah. Don't really go a lot more into detail. Just know the kinds of questions that you may want to ask. So now if your players want to research it, they can even make a role. You'll get that information, but it's going to take you a few days or weeks to get that update. Now that you know that they're invested, this session is over. You've got a week to prep for the next session. Now you go into that detail. You don't have to do it all up front. But knowing you have those tools on your shelf or in your drive on your computer, that's going to empower you to be confident with the answers you give in the moment and confident in the length of time you're giving to when you're going to have those answers for your players afterwards. And at the table, if you're a storyteller, confidence is everything. Yeah, you know, this is why I love doing these interviews. If I can step in for just a second, Glenn. That's why I love doing these interviews, because so that chapter really hasn't been written yet. We're kind of going through the exercise of writing the factions before we write the chapter on how to go ahead and tell them. Finish learning the lesson. Right, right. But that's such a great question. And Liwanika, I love the way that you answered that because what that tells us is that it probably makes sense when we're building that chapter to go ahead and put a, here's a quick and dirty, here are the kind of questions you want to ask if you're going to expand it or if you're going to go ahead, kind of like a, like a triangular type uh, shape to it where it's like, you can do one fast, right? Uh, maybe that's where like the roll table, you know, because we're talking about like there'll be roll tables and stuff in it. So maybe the section with the roll tables is the quick and dirty section. It's like, if you just right. need something, you need to come up with it at the table, maybe you don't even have an hour or whatever pregame. It's like, you need to roll it up at the table. Like you can roll five or six dice. You've got your faction. Now you can roll off with it. And then when you have time to go ahead and kind of really sit down and think with it and kind of analyze how your players are interacting with it, then there's the whole world that you can go ahead and fit it in from there. And so that, that's why I love I love when people kind of kind of glom onto that chapter because then it's like, okay, well, how are we going to do this? What are people asking for? And I think that that makes a ton of sense. Again, we hadn't necessarily thought about it that way, but structuring it in that way makes a ton of sense. But 100% speaks to the wisdom that we keep finding these nuggets that we chose to say, let's not even try to tackle that beyond what we've done already. (laughs) We did a lot of research to come up with our template, to come up with what we wanted to include in a faction, to come up with our direction. Because we learned in our first Kickstarter and our project before that, 
that if we run off and just write in isolation and then bring it all back together, it doesn't match. <laughs> yeah. And we basically yeah. have to rewrite everything to make it fit. Right. Yeah. So this time we did all of that first. So we've got a really good idea of what's going in that chapter, but we're like, let's not even try to tackle it until we finish writing them and learning what we learn as we yeah. go. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do like the idea of building a quick and dirty, and I think we'll need to. I think you'll need the quick, and then I think you'll need this is how you expand it. I mean, to further answer that question a little bit, and it was a little bit in Liwanika's answer too, it's really also going to come down to scope because a faction can mean a lot of things. It could just be the smuggling community that operates around the town of Freeport. That could be a faction all by itself, separate from the Thieves' Guild, a little smuggler's ring run, run by Minijaba, right? Mm. Or you could be looking at a faction like Commonwealth Records, which could be world or multiverse spanning and actually sending agents out to collect music and folklore and tale from other communities and if your players are a bard centric group working for it and that's what you're basing your campaign around that one's going to need a lot more detail and it's going to take you a lot longer to build so the scope of what you're looking for and how deeply it's entwined and threaded into your story is going to be a big part of that answer too so the short answer is it depends <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet i am terrible at the short answer even if not, the not word just not just terrible ab absolutely terrible it is, it, is, it, is, it is it is a straight up block he cannot speak in short terms even if part of the answer is and here's the short one. I will then expand on the other ones and then go into great detail on how to make the short one the short one. It's a thing I did. What he does. No, I love yes. it. I love it. So we've had a chance to look at some of the early elements of the book in preparation for this interview. I have to say my personal favorite faction is the Thundersworn. I love it. It speaks to my little <laughs> war cleric heart. <laughs> mm -hmm. It makes my heart flutter just a little bit. So do you have favorite children or are you allowed to say that you have favorite children <laughs> we're absolutely allowed we get asked yeah. this question all the it's time our, yeah. it's, it's yeah. our book we're allowed to do whatever we want <laughs> <laughs> you know i really think the one that spoke to me kind of immediately i mean a lot of them spoke to me kind of immediately but the one that i was responsible for that spoke to me uh, was the ember weavers that kind of techno mage organization and again that was one of those things where like when we first kind of did the internal pitch for what factions were going to be in the book and kind of did our cut down meeting, right? We came with probably 20 faction ideas about what could have been in the book and stuff like that, got them down to these nine. Um, and so like none of them really kind of existed beyond two or three paragraphs, unless you're Lou and Eakin, in which case he had some that were like 17 pages that we said separate <laughs> project. That's way too complete for where we are. <laughs> like, let's, let's push that aside. Um, but or like take so the this seven pages and squash it into the template because exactly right yeah. Crazy, yeah yeah my friend yeah I went off on a couple of them without a doubt yeah so the Ember was like a paragraph right and it's like you know it's kind of a cool organization I can see this group of like technology plus magic you know that kind of, I can see how that would be really cool kind of inspired by like Wild Wild West and kind of like that steampunk kind of feel obviously but also like earlier with like the Tinker Gnomes and stuff like that and even earlier like you know the first cave person to go ahead and create fire like oh you know uh, so you know, like all that kind of, like all these various inspirations through time and then as i started writing them and started really thinking about what an organization like that would grow into when you're talking about like near future far future 
who are they in a world where technology has finally kind of caught up and magic has stepped back? Who are the Ember Weavers then? What are they doing? You know, and that kind of like, how does that shape kind of the internal politics of the group? I went deep down that rabbit hole and it was a ton of fun to kind of explore what that actually meant. So that's kind of, I think, my favorite. I love them all equally, but that one's maybe a little bit more equal in my eyes. So... For me, I go back and forth. It's really, really, really difficult. Um, But at the moment, (laughs) I would have to say the Hands of Providence are probably my favorite faction. They're a group of sighted people who have, you know, some form of clairvoyance or ability to see the future. And some of them actually may not even have sight. They just believe in the vision of the future that the cult is now putting out there because everybody needs their cannon fodder, right? (laughs) But these people all serve one more powerful being, whether it be a deity, the head of an organization. I used Kai Wen from Deep Space Nine as an example of the leader of the Hands of Providence faction for futuristic Star Trek kind of world. And what they're doing is they're moving around the world or the universe, nudging events to make their future come to pass. And a world could have more than one organization that called itself Hands of Providence or that derived from the Hands of Providence. They could have opposing goals where you have the agents of one and the agents of another competing to try to make their future come out like the modern show Person of Interest with the agents of the machine and the agents of Samaritan. I don't know if you've seen that show, trying to actually bring about or stop this AI apocalypse from happening. Before you keep rolling on, I had another thought. With Loki season two coming back soon, I was thinking Mm. about the hands of Providence and the TVA and how they would, right? How would they interact with one another? And because again, two groups who are ostensibly, they just have their own kind of uh, motivations, but neither one of them are necessarily bad or evil, but they would be wildly opposed. Like the TVA would hate the hands of (laughs) the hands of Providence. The TVA could be nuts by them. The The TVA TVA could very well be the hands of Providence. The hands of Providence organization that came out on top and they're running the show now on the whole yeah. timeline right. yeah. it, it reminds Crazy. me uh i recently read this is how you lose the time war mm-hmm. and and so there there are That's two time, yeah. there are two time traveling factions that are in opposition to one another and are constantly tweaking timelines at different points and it's never explained why they're in competition why they are trying to outdo one another why they're trying to make their timeline correct but you see it's a bouncing back and forth between two agents, one of each faction. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're siblings and they forgot why they even fight. They just fight. <laughs> I mean, they're siblings. Like that's, I've, got, I've got four brothers and sisters. Like that's enough of a reason. Like that's, yeah. But I love that connection to Loki, Josh. That's, that is yeah, great. That's actually. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I thought about that just like while we were in the show here, I was like, Oh, Loki's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if anybody's read the Belgariad by David. Eddings, yes. But in that, The central plot point is two prophecies that are conflicting, and they're actually sentient. So those would be the beings at the top of the hands of providence. But everybody, they manipulate below them to try to bring their prophecy to fruition. And that's my favorite set, one of my favorite set of books, by the way. Yeah, that's old friends in that one. I, I read it frequently even the priests of relore in game of thrones right when you think about like melisana the red witch who's mm, yeah. constantly trying to shape what's happening yeah it's totally I mean, that, a hand of problems. that's exactly yes. who we're talking about yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. that's another one i just came up with i'm on fire it's, tonight that one has so much potential and so many directions it can go and it's just so rife with story that it, it has to stay my favorite though the warp in the weft is a close second and the guardians <laughs> of the grave might come in with a tight third 
Just because yeah. Grand Grand's so disgusting. Like that's what makes the warp Grand Grand is so awesome. <laughs> Grand Grand the Hag, like, you know. Yeah, for me, I am very enamored with so many of these. And if you'd asked me two and a half weeks ago, I would have probably said pretty cleanly the Outriders League. And nothing has diminished them. It's just other things have come up through a lot of these conversations that we've had. They made something else shine. Yeah. You know, the Thundersworn, as I write more, and I have been working more with that recently with ideas, and I did some edits to some of the works. I'm in the process of getting that finished up for its official first draft. So it's kind of in rough form right now, but it's about to be in its first draft form. And as I've been working on that, that has really risen for me. And part of it is just building out the traditions. A conversation we had the other night on another show brought something up from my childhood that I just really loved. And I talked about it during another interview. Like it came up in one interview. The next interview, I actually talked about how I'm going to incorporate it. And uh, (laughs) while talking through that, I figured out how I was going to incorporate it. So I can now tell you that even though it's not entirely written down yet, the fact that it is now going to be a part of that in and of itself has caused its stakes to rise for me. And because it really just speaks to what they are. They're not a military organization. They're not all these other things. But what they are is a community that's out there trying to help other communities rise up. And I love that element. That, to me, is a true heroic thing. And you can build them as big as a whole clan of these folks coming down, or as small as a party coming to town, a la the A-Team, or any of those great A-Team shows. (laughs) Or, (laughs) honestly, I could see them in an Eberron version and have it literally be one character and a Warforge roll in there like Knight Rider. And and just kind of just handle some business with the locals. I just think there's something very cool and awesome about the community element of that like we're just going to help this community i really figure these are the ones that when you write those adventures where the heroes walk into town there's a big bad in town who's oppressing the people this is the group whether it be individual or a larger group they're the ones that are gonna stop the constables from harassing the shop owner or they're going to pick up the little kid who is about to get kicked by the noble tax collector. And that's going to land them in some kind of trouble, but they're going to go handle that. They really smack of what John Rambo kind of became in later movies. But essentially, he was a loner with a past that rolled into a town. That Anything the local Green Beret law, works. Yeah. That the lo- that, they were trained to go in and teach girl fighting to communities sorry but the local law was like we ain't having you here and Hmm. yet he stayed because he's like no i need to be here and interestingly enough if you look at first blood the first movie what preceded all of the uh conflict in that film overcast guys a brewing storm and then there was a storm when the action first started and it ended as the storm ended and if there's nothing that screams thunderstorm better than that i don't know what it is <laughs> so there you have it folks john rambo thunderstorm when we take this to the modern 5e game in everyday heroes they already have the john rambo book out there so you can use this as the faction that's the kind of unit that john rambo would have came from nice. uh, right. done and done you know. you know who else totally would have been a thundersworn from when we played aliens? Larone yeah. absolutely would have been thundersworn. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Without a doubt. That whole I kind mean, of like from the bayou kind of, but really just trying to do the right thing. 
even to his own. Yep, I'm going to crawl into this little yeah. tiny thing where I know right, there's bad evil right, beasts that probably right. ate my friend because wait, wait, I'm not wait, walking out of yeah. here without my friend's body. Yeah, because you know, Nika knows that your friend just got at, but Leron did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I love the really, too. I really love that element of it. The fact that they're origin stemmed from an older game that I ran years and years ago based on a character that Glenn played. There's oh, I so love him. I can't help it. I've got a stake in that pie. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's just so many things that are so good about it. And I think that they are just rife with story potential for both players and storytellers that they're going to be so much fun at the table. Steak in pie is delicious. Well, yeah. I, right after I said that, I'm like, wow, that was a mixed food metaphor. But I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll in, I've got a steak in that pie. It's beef pot pie. We're good. Yeah. It's a meat yeah. pie. All I right. rarely say no to steak, and I often say yes to pie. <laughs> All right. I think that we should probably start wrapping up because we've been talking for about an hour. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, right? It really does. It does. Yeah. yeah, it's been great. We were talking a little bit before we got in that you guys get to be the first guests that get to be two-time Monster Mashup contestants. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. So let's go ahead and roll right into the Monster Mashup. Who would like to roll first with a D4? Uh, D4. I have mine right here. Yeah, your D4. My. All right, Good, this I'm not is prepared, for locomotion. So I don't get to be first. All right. And I've got my fan roll dice here. So let's see. We've got a two. A two. It runs. All right. All caps. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I'm also runs. seeing some steam locomotion now, maybe. But... Chugga, chugga. All right. All right. Next? next is a D6. What does it eat? All right. I also have my uh, my nice silicon fan roll dice here. Let's see. Uh, one. One inorganic material. Interesting. Mm. So we got something I, I, again. We are not a, too far away from Steam Train currently. <laughs> so so far, I'm thinking like a, like Rust Monster plus the zombies from Dawn of the Dead. You know, the fast moving yes. zombies. You know? Okay. Yeah. Right. Or some sort right. of or right. World War Z. Yeah. And I was thinking right. of Blondie yes. song where the zombie from Mars eats cars and <laughs> while <laughs> dancing in bars. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Next is another D6 for size. Okay. I will roll that one for you. Five. Five. It is huge. Okay. Definitely not a Roomba. So I'm thinking something <laughs> like Rock Biter from Never Ending Story, just fast. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Still could be a All construct. Right. Still could be a construct. Well, we have a creature type role now later on, so it oh, may okay. end up being a construct. Okay. We'll find out. We will find out. Next is a D8 roll for social organization. Back to you, Lee Wanika. Seven. Seven? It's a herd. 26 to 100 individuals. Of huge. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This is a bad day at at the office if you run into these. (laughs) It's a paladin running into 100 huge things that eat inorganic material. Like, oh, my goodness. That that armor's gone. You could see something like on the plane of Earth or like the plane of sludge. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Giant herd of mechanical goats designed by the ember weavers to mow yes. the lawn of an entire nation. <laughs> ah! And they got wild. <laughs> yeah, they developed sentience. Like so E2. far, we've got rust dragons. Yeah. From 2E, from Akron. Ugh. Or it could be running with yep. like a giant filter feeder where it just like yep. going through it. It's I mean, plowing the, up the, the monster that was up. in the garbage compactor in Star Wars. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. All right. Next up is a D10 for native environment. Oh, this will this will oh, mean a lot. All right, native environment. Let's see what we got here. Uh, that's a three. A three. Can I get another roll and let me know even or odd? 
Uh, odd. Rocking it, Josh. Finish it up. Oh, there you go. Saltwater coastal. Okay. What if All it's right. literally eating the salt from the water? Or the wood from boats. Yeah. Like, what? it doesn't care about the people. It just wants the wood. So it just eat bo- eats boats. They eat yeah, boats. It's they, inorganic they material. It could be eating, right. like, the but, nails and the pitch from the boats. Uh, yeah. 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 That could be. Or it could be, or it could be bar- eating, like, the, the, the barnacles. The calcium. The bottles? calcium. Okay. Shells of the barnacles off of the. But, I mean, it's yep. so big. Yep. That's what I'm thinking, right. like, a filter feeder, like oh. a whale. I say whales. I'm gonna say live off of plankton. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, some kind of whale-like creature where it's baleen, like crushes everything else and spits that back out. But what it's really yeah. is scraping away the iron and the bolts and the nuts and the okay, metal yeah. pieces yeah. that like are within the, the boat. As an alternative, just, what if it could just shovel if, mouth dirt off the bottom and sand off yeah. the bottom, just filter through or, it? Yeah. Too. Sorry, Josh. Or, go ahead. What if they eat sand? Right? If they eat right, and sand, they cause yeah. like coastal erosion. Okay. Like this herd of huge creatures that's like red tide, right? Where yeah. it's like it moves in and just kind of like eats like the beachheads and everything like that and just basically and, and, and by that destroys all the, the uh, rest of the animals around so they can't fish for like lobster right. and clams or anything because yeah, yeah, yeah. they would be torn up by this thing as well. Yeah, exactly, I could see yeah. people bringing these in too. If the water's too brackish, then maybe this is their fresh water source because they right. have so ah. they have enough of these here that they, they keep the water clear of the inorganics and now you just have fresh water. Yeah, I can see them using them almost as filtration systems in cities. Yeah. You keep yeah. one contained in a small area. Yeah. Like, oh, like keep a them in the pen. sewers like you've got one and hope it doesn't get too big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of like an Otiug, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. So working with Josh's sand theory, though, what if they did in huge herds to threw away at the coastline? Right. But then they're migratory and everything that goes in has to come out eventually. Right. So they eat the shoreline, but somewhere out there where they do their mating dance or whatever, they poop out new islands. Yeah. I love it. Changing the face of the world. Yeah. 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 And and that's 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 where like where they lay their eggs. They they poop out an Mm -hmm. island so that they can bury the eggs to incubate. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good times. I like where this is going. All right. Next is a D12 roll for method of defense. Seven. Seven. Fleeing. Okay. They just run away. (laughs) They do the big scaredy runaway. Yeah, I know. A huge creature turning around could do a lot of damage to a boat. They're also fast. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, they they run. And there's, you know, 50 of them. So, like, you know, if they turn around to flee, like, that's a major problem. (laughs) Now we're working off with the new Avatar movie that I can't remember the technical name of. I'm going to call it Avatar 2, the blue people one. (laughs) Okay. I need to watch um, because stuff. the in the aquatic environment, has anybody seen it besides me? Not yet. No. no. Huge giant whale type creatures, but they're incredibly intelligent and they're pacifistic. Okay. They don't believe in violence, so they always run. Okay. Mm. okay. I can just see these things having some kind of bipedal motion, so they do that salamander skip thing. Oh, but it, yeah. because of their size, if you've got like fifty or hundred of these things moving, it can oh literally God. create tidal waves oh, yes. uh, that will wipe out and yes. down. I love it. It's amazing. That's brutal. All right. So here's where we go. Now we have a D12 roll for creature type. So this right, is this is where see. we find out if we actually get our constructs. Seven. Seven. They are we like that number. Of course they are. Of course they are. Of course they are. You know, did we really need to roll? We should have just started there. <laughs> yeah. It sounded yeah. like some fairy bullshit from the beginning. We sprinkle the fairy dust, we get less coastline. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> where do you think the fairy dust comes from? Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that's they poop out. That's where they get the fairy dust. Yeah. Like they sift <laughs> out and they so express ew. fairy so, dust. So now I can imagine just an entire adventure. It's a rainbow. Where, like, 
where like a party oh. needs to hunt down one of these things to to get fairy dust. Yeah, you know, but the method of extraction is not told to the party before they get there. They just have to figure <laughs> it out, right? You know, I, I'm literally thinking of Tinkerbell flying around saying to people, "I put this shit on everything." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, okay, right. you know, it brings out you know that whole you know musk as a perfume, and you know, yeah, right, you right. know ambergris as a perfume, yeah. and you know guano yeah. as an element of cosmetics and all of that. You know, people have been putting gross shit on their bodies <laughs> that smell good for, for a, a long time. time. Yeah. yeah, for a long time. I'm totally seeing like an alchemist balling the stuff and selling it. We're yeah, not an alchemist, yeah. but a uh, artificer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just think yeah. of all the spells we could make where this is like the actual material component yeah. and yeah. This... use it instead of guano for a fireball, and so it's just glitter, yeah. prismatic spray, or yeah. prismatic colors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can literally picture the Soul Society Fairy hiring ball. a party to track these creatures down to procure this no, for various this, yeah, uh, yeah. effects. Like that adventure just writes itself. That is brilliant. <laughs> All right. We've got a couple more left. Next one is a D20 roll for quirks. All right. I got it. I got it. Just one D20 or? One D20. Uh, it's a four. A four. Heavily camouflaged. Okay. <laughs> so these, okay. So wait, 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 wait. These non violent, huge sized, aquatic, fast moving creatures also have camouflage so you can't even see them you accidentally step on one of these things and all of a sudden a hundred of them just get oh, up right. from where they are and stampede away <laughs> like, right. you wake up three counties over yeah. oh shit it sees us i can see this though because especially like if they're filter feeding or like shovel beaking you know huge tracks of sand or beach that's gonna like spill yeah. up and maybe like they've got like a coat or a skin of earth yeah. or sand that kind of keeps them covered as they kind of wall or what have yeah. you yeah, right, right. Oh. And they would literally be in the shallows. Like they could breach, so they could have that darker. Uh, they could be somewhat nocturnal, have that darker hue. Yeah, or what have you. So they're just hard to see at night or whatever. But you know, like at the beginning of Jaws movie, two lovers are down by the beach, just kicking around, doing their thing. One of them decides, "Oh, let's go skinny dipping," and all of a sudden, blah! <laughs> <laughs> they all run off and crush one of and them. They have to make some sort of weird sound too, because yeah. they just have to. Yeah. Right. And then of course he's like, "No, but the beaches have to open in Amity." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, Benchley. I'm really sorry. Now <laughs> we make it weird. <laughs> As if we haven't already. Yeah. So so Glenn, I think it's your turn. Uh can I get okay. a D one hundred roll, please? Okay. I think it already counts as weird, but let's see how much weirder it, it can always get. Does. Sixty-five. Sixty-five. Speaks an omen of good when it dies a natural death, and an omen of doom when it dies a violent death. Oh, interesting. That's kind of cool. It kind of goes so into the whole like yeah. the fate thing, and if people are trying to kill it for this fairy dust, then yeah, curses for everyone. Right. <laughs> or right, maybe right. the fairy dust only happens when they like wherever they go to die, kind of like the elephant graveyard kind of thing. Yeah. If they go there and die naturally, that's a good thing. But if it right dies that final fart just like coats the <laughs> island with it. <laughs> it's always a fart joke with you. So you know, uh, dude, dude, you had already I, covered the fact that the fairy dust came out their I, butt. All right. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, not yeah. me. Farts, so you have the fairy dust and you can have like a hypnotic oracle vision. I'm yeah. just like picturing like the exploding whale that washed up on the coast in like Seattle. Was it like yeah. 30 years ago or whatever that they? Oh yeah, like, the, we don't, we don't they, know how they, they get rid of it. They, they tried like, to blow it up, blew it up with dynamite. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Crushing cars. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awful. (laughs) That's just brilliant. Smart choice there. Yeah. So that means that they that they need to make little fart noises as they're running across the water. (laughs) 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 It'd be part of their propulsion. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's their speed boost. (laughs) 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 On the turbos. All right. So I'm I'm gonna go ahead and throw in another D100 because that's what we do. Um, twelve. What did we get with that? Uh, twelve is actually the adolescent form of a sentient humanoid race. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Uh, again, if they're tied in with the Fae, why not? Yeah. So I can picture like how this form they eat all this sand to form like a cocoon that okay, eventually yeah. their adult form emerges from. They have to eat like this massive amount of inorganic material yeah. to form a defensive right, right. cocoon around it. You know, what if they're like this uh, around this huge size. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you have like, um, I mean, for lack of a thing, but yeah, you have the 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 lava or the magma spirits and a lot of Hawaiian or Polynesian lore. So it's one of those. Sure. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. Right. That could be really yep. cool. And so, yeah, it makes it makes an island, and that's its as it coming out. It would be a volcanic eruption as it takes whatever humanoid form it takes, and then yep. you know spreads fade yeah. dust through the pyroclastic cloud. Yeah, it's... yeah, <clears throat> yep. And, and then maybe this is some form of like Earth elemental aligned giant race. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, like I can see that. Like this is this is where where some Earth and water elemental aligned. It's yeah, gonna be, yeah. It's going to be dual yep. planar. But yeah. they're all druidic, so they don't use any metal weapons. They don't use any metal armor, nothing like okay. that. Like they again, they like because I guess that's food for them. Like that would yeah. it'd be like me walking down the street wearing a chicken. Like that's just not gonna <laughs> that's not gonna happen, right? Like that's yeah. right. You um, could strap a, to... a T bone to your arm and call it a shield. <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody's gonna go to the Oscars with a meat dress at some I mean, point. Adam, but Adam, Adam, yeah. armor be a Lady Gaga has one. I suppose, yeah, yeah, and and this plays into sort of the. D&D lore has gotten away from this, but back in second edition, uh, rust monsters were the adolescent form of rust dragons. dragons. And sure, so, yeah. so whenever they've eaten enough to grow to a certain size, they return to Acheron and then they would feast on the iron of the cubes of Acheron and metamorphose. And when they emerged from the pupa, they would be rust dragons. Mm. Yeah. And so it's a similar sort of thing to that. And, okay. I, and I, I like that tie in. Yeah. I like we made yes. something that wasn't pure nightmare fuel this time. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's hold on here. Pure <laughs> nightmare fuel. Okay. That's it. They're fake creatures. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the restaurant can make an appearance with I mean, landscape. For the moment, they're just, you know, a couple of dudes swimming along. Yeah. A couple oh, yeah. of big yeah. dudes. Oh, yeah. Big dudes. Yeah. And by a couple, you mean like, you know, 40 or 50 because they're yeah. herd animals. Yep. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe that maybe they only maybe they're only herd animals at a certain age. Yeah, like, as adults, uh, like, like the sea turtles, as they're uh, coming out of their shells and running for the water, yeah. like they're kind of herd animals there. But at a certain point, they're pretty much loners. I, I would see uh, them other more herd as their humanoid form versus uh, mm-hmm. the adolescent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's go ahead and recap real quick with what we got. So it runs. It feeds on inorganic material. It is huge in size. Its organization is herds, 26 to 100 individuals. Native environment is saltwater coastal. Its defense mechanism is to run away. It is a fey creature type. It is heavily camouflaged. It speaks an omen of good when it dies a natural death 
or an omen of doom when it dies a violent death, and it is actually the adolescent form of a sentient humanoid race. So what are we going to call it? Uh, I think they would have two different names. I think they would have a different name in their two different forms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I would think that most people don't that realize that they are connected. Yeah. Right. So just um, I wonder if like, I, I see this whole metamorphosis being a very private, very secretive sort of thing and that the yeah. adults are going to keep outsiders away from it. Right. Because and yet the people that, that... that live in these coastal towns that get destroyed by it would probably call them something like coast devourers yeah. or something like that or storm bringers or, you know, like break fiends or something like that. Like they would probably call it something diabolical. I was going to yeah, say, right? since we determined that they become another sized creature or a large creature at their adult phase, we can tie that in and make the immature phase smaller as well because it would still tie in with that. Um, Depending on how yeah. you want to do that. Again, you could have something whale sized or more manageable depending as it's a adolescent or a immature form. Oh, it it could be it, yep. it could be large in its immature form. It basically it grows from small to large before it goes into that final metamorphosis. That kind of like the yeah. water version, the pre humanoid version. Especially since we're talking about, a, we're calling it a bottom feeder. We're saying it's really camouflaged. I really kind of lean towards like a skate yeah. or a stingray yeah. type creature. That would sit really flat on the ground as it's working its way through. Yeah. And that would make that running thing that it does, if you caught it on land, like maybe they're amphibious. But when you catch it running, it has that awkward kind of bizarre, like I said, salamander yeah. type kind of like if you could picture uh, a skate uh, yeah, yeah. flopping with lizard. wings, yeah. like, yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> right. like going. And then maybe they're running along the top. And at a medium size or even at a large size, that would be pretty frightening. Yeah. Uh, to see them running. Okay. Yep. What about a sand dredger? Shovel nosed sand dredger. Yeah. I, yeah. That's the same kind of thing. It's like something that, like, that's what they would call it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Those the shovel nosed sand dredger. Yeah. Shovel nosed sand dredger. I love go. it. Yes. All we right. have a winner. All right. So that was a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love doing that. Was yeah. I was like, it, that it's, it's, always, yeah. it's always great to do this with you guys. I'm going to give you guys the floor now to go ahead cool. and promote your stuff. You know, talk about your show, talk about the Kickstarter, where people can find you, where we can go to throw money at you. The floor is yours. You stop dancing in the local clubs, so yeah. you're going to have to lo- throw cool. money at us online. Uh, so, uh, j- go ahead, Josh, if I can talk about the show, then you can throw out the, the stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, right. yeah. Our show, Tabletop Journeys, is a show about... Just that, the tabletop journey. It's about tabletop games, all the games we love, we play. It is about what we do at the table as storytellers. It's about what we do at the table as players. It's about tips, tools, techniques, and advice for both game masters, DMs, storytellers, and players. We spread that out. We also do a lot of interviews with great content creators across the spectrum, especially for indie game creators, because we like to showcase those indie games. Oftentimes, we even get them to come on the show and run those indie games so you get an idea of how they play and why you want to have them at your table. Um, And there's a lot of fun with that. But we also have a fantastic community that we interact with on a daily basis, whether it be on X, Blue Sky, and especially on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, 400 or so folks that uh, join in, share memes, share questions and that. And uh, we also have a Patreon 
where folks who really want to support the show, support our mission to build this wonderful community, have seen fit to kind of give us the resources to be able to do that. Our content that we are putting out is not just about the, the Kickstarters, but to get to the point where we could do a Kickstarter, it's our patrons. Those backers have got us to the point where we are for three years. They've been behind us, wow, supporting absolutely. us, and we can't thank them enough. So we would invite anybody who likes kind of the way we talk about games, the way we approach the table, the way we approach this community, to join us in our community, see what it's like to hang out with us uh, is up for a while. And if you are so moved and have those resources, feel free to please come to and consider some kind of uh, level with our Patreon. There's a lot of really good benefits there, whether it be monthly games with our teams or some of our publications do come to them in PDF form at low or no cost. We also have lots of other things. We are starting to do things like invite Patreons to our recording sessions so they kind of are Quite able to watch what we do live, uncensored, from the back for of the house. Uh, and see, for better or for worse, they get to see the stuff that usually ends up in our yearly bloopers episodes so Gradually, um, they might get some of the stuff that's too saucy even for that that happens occasionally yep yep <laughs> Although with, with an audience yeah. we try to behave better too hot for broadcast <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Generally, uh, we do pretty well. <laughs> well and on top of that, obviously, so why why we're really here is to go ahead and talk about the Kickstarter that we just launched on Thursday for book number four, The Traveler's Guide to Factions. It's live on Kickstarter right now. Right now, it's sitting at about 54% funded. We got a $3,000 goal that we're trying to go ahead and get to. Campaign's going to be running through October 24th, but really, we would love to be funded right now. We'd love to be funded as soon as possible so that we can start talking about some of the awesome stretch goals that we have. The thing about this project that's different from some of our other projects is that we actually brought in more artists for custom art for this book and we have got them they are in the wings right now we've already got some art from them that's going to be in kind of the core offering right now they are waiting in the wings like rabid animals on change just waiting to be unleashed on this product uh, because the very right. first stretch goal that we're going to hit is a art stretch goal the campaign goal is three thousand the first stretch goal is at four thousand if we hit four thousand that thousand dollars is going to go, go to, to them to for the custom better. art we're not getting any part of it we really really want to go ahead and hit that to make the book better um, and that's really why we're here so um, yeah we'd love to go ahead and uh, have this uh, search on Kickstarter for the Traveler's Guide to Factions if you look at any of our social media uh, you will see links to it all over the place so uh, you know feel free to go ahead and find us uh, we're at TT Journeys pretty much everywhere we're on Blue Sky we're on X we're on Facebook like Lumenica said we're on Instagram we're on TikTok we're everywhere so yeah but if you just search Traveler's Guide to Factions you'll find it nice and I'm gonna put a link to it in the show notes perfect oh, that'd be awesome. also you. interesting to note this time since we're going with a physical book for the first time which we're super excited about we do also have a retailers tier built in so that your local shop if you want to hit them up and say hey these guys are running a kickstarter that can actually support your shop too if you want to get in on this they can back at a rate that will get the multiple copies at a price point that will still leave them room to make profit and we have the opportunity to actually be sitting on the shelf in a game store which oh my god i can't tell you the amount of nerd freak out that gives me and right I mean, in an interview the other day, yeah, that would be awesome. uh, we yeah. had one of the guys yeah. reach over and pull yeah. down a book that we have an adventure in, like right there on a shelf. And that was special all on its own. But, you know, to have our own book on the shelf at the local game store will be yeah. phenomenal. That'll be kind of life-changing. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, Josh, Glenn, Lee Waniqua, thank you so very much for joining yes. us. Absolutely. We've had a blast. Us too. Thanks so much for making space. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for the episode today. 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under commentaste at gmail.com, or you can drop it into our inbox on the smoldering hulk of Twitter, <laughs> UCT Homebrew. Um, we are also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, and Mastodon at undercommontaste. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. That's where our write-ups go. We also have an itch store, undercommontaste.itch.io, where you can find our liminal horror adventure, Beneath the Lake, or my solo RPG, Forever Home. Finally, we have a Discord as well. You can find a link to the Discord in our show notes, and we'd love to have you come and chat with us. If this is your first time following us, welcome. We're glad you found us. Uh, you can find our other podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, please give us a rate and a review that helps increase our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you once again, Tabletop Journeys, for joining us tonight. And we will see you all in two weeks. Happy gaming. Good night, Good night all. Later. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycroll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash David Sutherland or on instagram.com slash willx underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks, so stay safe, and we'll see you then.